Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this tremendous privilege of gathering together as family in a unity that you provide, provided, Father, from eternity past for we as individuals, but also as a congregation, Father. What a wonderful privilege it is. May we never become familiar with it, but rather understand it for what it is. It's a grace gift, courtesy of you, empowered by your Spirit, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the good weather. It's the little things that just cheer us up because we know that they're from you. Thank you for whatever help you've given members of this congregation so that we might fellowship with them in person. We also pray for those that can't be with us this morning due to a variety of health reasons and otherwise. We pray also for those that are still lost, Father, that they might be humbled and be evangelized so that we might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. What a wonderful thought that is. Thank you for giving us a, the space and an opportunity to be a part of that process. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality for all of us. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, uh, this morning's message, The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 40. Um, I shared, I think, this with you on Thursday evening. This series has gone longer than I ever expected, which really means nothing, because uh, my expectations are typically wrong. Um, but I'm so glad that he's given us this series. What a wonderful uh, endeavor it's been for all of us. The Holy Spirit drove home some pretty intimate points this past week with us. And as is often the case, he used something near and dear to many of our hearts as the lever. And we should never be offended um, or be taken aback by whatever he chooses to use as a lever to wake us up. And in the case of this past week, it's been music. Music. For the record, though, I want you all to be very clear that I've not been teaching or proposing that music is bad. It's what we think about music that counts. And that's always been the case. Anytime we discover or contemplate something that um, could potentially have grown uh, bad roots in our souls, it's really about, but yet on the outside is good, it's really about what we think about the topic. Not necessarily, and I've certainly not been trying to teach that music is somehow inherently bad, or, you know, listening to music is inherently bad. It's what we think about music that counts. And if we're supposing we are worshiping through music in satisfaction of Holy Scripture, then we must be careful to do so appropriately. That's been the message, that if we're supposing we are worshiping through music as a satisfaction of Holy Scripture, we must be careful to do so appropriately. 
So the net net of all that we've learned together is that music worship is just that. It's worship. It's worship. And that's how we have to view music, at least in the context of, say, a church setting like this. Here's the additional digging we've done. It is entirely insufficient, of course, to stop our definition there because the term worship must also be qualified. The term itself, worship, must also be qualified. Up here on the board, let me help with that. Worship, our affections set the direction of our worship. Our affections set the direction of our worship. In other words, that which we are affectionate towards, we worship. That sets our direction. We have a love for, and therefore we set this direction, or this direction is set for us based on our affections. So our affections set the direction of our worship. If our affections are for God, we worship and serve and praise and celebrate Him through our mediator, Jesus Christ. However, if our affections are for self or any other God or idol, such as our emotions, and we talked a lot about that this past week, that we can put our emotions on a pedestal, and we can worship and serve our emotions, even though our emotions are supposedly for God. We can get confused in our the direction of our worship goes from Him as the sovereign holy God to our emotions about Him. So if our affections are for self or for any other God, little g, of course, or idols, such as our emotions, we worship, etc., ourselves through an ungodly mediator, which is the flesh. Because remember, the flesh loves to feed itself. The flesh loves to dine on emotionalism. Could care less about God. Cares an awful lot about self. That's the human flesh. And so anyway, it can detract from worshiping God and point that or direct it towards self, it will do that. It will encourage it. It will propagate it. It will find ways to manipulate even what we know in Holy Scripture, to serve that end, to worship that end. And music is famous for it, especially in contemporary Christianity, because there are whole churches, whole ministries built on the presence of, of music and rocking out uh, and so-called celebrating Jesus. And there's little or no um, Holy Scripture even uh, displayed or exposed during those worship services, those so-called worship services. Go to Philippians 3.15 for some perspective on worship, on this topic of worship. It's a really important topic because if you look into yourselves, your own lives, chances are you're going to find pretty quickly something that you're worshiping that is unholy. And some of you, for some of you, it could be, your, I don't know, could be your children, could be a pet even, could be your um, vocation, could be a lot of things that you're worshiping, and it's, uh, it's basically redirecting uh, away from the Lord. Philippians 3.15, let us therefore, 
as many as are perfect have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. And that's what he's doing for you right now, this past week. If you have a different attitude, if you're worshiping the wrong God, if you have an idol, something that's detracting from worshiping the Lord, he's going to let you know. And he might use a vessel like yours truly to do it. And so you should be grateful. God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. See, you don't have to be, uh, or we can't say that just because someone calls themselves a Christian, just because someone even verbally says, I believe in Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean anything. It's what's going on on the inside. Are they actually regenerate? And like Paul, it breaks my heart when I find out people are able to leave the faith as an apostate, let's say. That's heartbreaking. And this is what he's describing. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction whose God, and this is what we're going to focus on here in a moment, whose God, little g, is their appetite. What are they hungry for? What are they thirsty for? Whose God is their appetite. You see that? It's no longer the holy God of the universe, or it's not the holy God of the universe. It's their appetite. They worship and serve, in other words, their appetite. I mean, in the plainest way. There are some people, presumably, in this world that it's the most obvious case, which is food. There are some people in this world, sadly, their God is their appetite, their food. They live to eat. And, uh, but that's not the only thing that's in view here, obviously. We can have an appetite for other things, an appetite for approbation, for the approval of others. We can have an appetite for success. We can have an appetite for, you name it, any kind of idol. We can have an appetite for our feelings, which was the whole idea with the music. That we can have an appetite of just feeling good. I just need my next high. I just need that next high. However I can get it, I just need it. And so they do everything to serve that end. Whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Everything I just mentioned is an earthly thing. Up here on the board, whose God is their appetite. A person may have, a a quote, an appetite for just about anything. For example, food, money, sex. That's a, I think that's probably, I would say that's probably one of the number one, if not the number one in today's world, especially in America. Uh, food, money, sex, pleasure, that's right up there as well. 
uh, other items. You choose. You choose your poison. But a person can have an appetite for just about anything when they surrender themselves to the lusts of the flesh, this appetite becomes their God. They become um, intimately linked to this thing. Their every waking moment is somehow sullied or somehow um, gripped by or, or tainted by this appetite, this surrender to this God, this thing that they worship day and night. You know what I'm talking about? Where you could be working at a job and being totally normal. Some of you right now, that God is in the back of your mind saying, hey, what about me? Hey, we only have another hour left here. You know, how are we going to hook up later? Are we going to go get a good meal? Can I stuff my face? Can I go find my next uh, date on Tinder? Can I go on the internet and do stuff I shouldn't be doing? Should I go make some more money? I gotta go. I got some business. I gotta. Go, I got three customers that have called me this morning alone. I gotta go make some more money. Those are all things that are in the back of our minds, haunting us like little gods, and they're trying to distract us from the holy God of the universe. And worshiping him and him alone. Remember, the Bible says that he is a jealous God. What do you think that means? It means he doesn't want you in love with or serving any other God. Isn't that one of the commandments? Do not serve another God. Do not redirect your affections away from me towards any other God. So says God. And so we can turn these appetites into little gods. So when these people surrender themselves to the lusts of the flesh, this appetite becomes their god. And from there on out, they live to worship, serve, praise, and celebrate their new god. Yeah, that's what they do. They may go through life, and they may fool a lot of people, and they may play a lot of games, but at the end of the day, if push comes to shove, they always, they always choose little g God, even over capital G God. That's, I mean, that's been the, the tension in our souls ever since the Spirit's been saying, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Read your Bible. A lot of you said, I don't have time. I don't have time. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What are all those things the results of? I've got to serve my other God. I've got to serve my other idol. I've got to serve my feelings. I've got to serve this kind of thing and this kind of thing and this kind of a thing. Reading my Bible doesn't make me feel good. And I need to feel good because that's my appetite. My appetite is for feeling good. I've got to feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. When I read my Bible, I don't feel good. Because even when I read my Bible, all I can think about, all I'm preoccupied with, is my other God. <laughs> Let's go. You ready? Let's go. Let's go play some golf, because that's my God. I'm an addict. I gotta go play some golf. I gotta watch football. I gotta do fantasy football. I gotta get back on there. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm gonna lose this week. You choose. Oh my God, guys, a 40% off. 
40% off my favorite clothing store. I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, they close at one. <laughs> right? It's unbelievable. I just realized my coupon, my 10% off coupon is out today. It's expiring today. Can't read my Bible. I gotta go to this store. God understands. God loves me. He wants to bless me out with a sale. Aren't those the games we play? You bet. It's easy to play those games when you, when you play the, Christ, the Christian game, which is do Christianity and God blesses you out. God wants me to be, quote unquote, blessed with a sale at my favorite clothing store. So he understands. He understands that I can't read my Bible. He'll understand. Because he wants me to be happy. And isn't that what this is all about? Oh, wait a minute. Is this what this is all about? Do Christianity and you get happy? Is this like a little formula we get to play? We're going we're gonna to buy the lie impressed on us by the world? Or are we going to understand the words of Jesus? The world hates you. Even the ones that are selling you those clothes for 10% off or 40% off, th- those people hate you. Those are the ones that will take you to court like that. And sue your butt. That's what the Bible says. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Hey, wait a minute. Where's all the smiles and the happiness? You tell me. You tell me. Paul said, I can learn to live with or without. I just want to be pleasing to the Lord. I just want to do right by Him, whether I'm here or in heaven. That's a complete paradigm shift. For most Christians, most Christians are living a lie. Most Christians are feeding an appetite. And most moronic churches and pastors who shouldn't even be standing are feeding that appetite. I just want you to come to church so that you can feel good. And if you do that, you make a lot of money. You have huge churches. I just want you to feel good. But if, if, if that person turns around and says, hey, you know, hey, by the way, the way is narrow that leads to life. Time to leave. Time to pick up and leave. Strive to enter the narrow gate. You've got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross or else you can't be my disciple. Here's what I want from you. Go out. Evangelize the four corners of the earth. Wait a minute, this doesn't. Wait, where's all the blessings and the happiness? I'm, I'm feeling a little hungry. My appetite, um, it's growing. That's because your God is your appetite, and you worship and serve that thing. And the Holy Bible says, no way. No way. So a person may have an appetite for just about anything. You choose the poison. When they surrender themselves to the lusts of the flesh, this appetite becomes their God. From there on out, they live to worship, serve, praise, and even celebrate this new God. Again, verse 18. Philippians 3.18 is still there, right? For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Our citizenship 
is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Again, our instigating principle is this up here on the board on the topic of worship. Our affections set the direction of our worship. If our affections are for God, we worship, serve, praise, celebrate Him through our mediator, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful way to live that is. However, if our affections are for self or any other God or idol, such as our emotions, we worship, etc., ourselves through our mediator, the flesh. Philippians 3, 15-21. Now listen up. This is where the deceitfulness, remember our title, we're on part 40, must be an important topic. This is where the deceitfulness of sin comes into play, especially for we believers. If we're not careful, our affections will drift. And as our affections go, so goes the direction of our worship. As our affections go, so goes the direction of our worship. So just to sort of close the loop on the whole music ministry topic, we have to be careful not to make our emotions or feelings our little God. We have to make sure and be careful not to make our emotions or our feelings our little God. I can do all that I can as a shepherd while in these four walls, or within these four walls here at North Christian Church. Obviously, I write a blog. I try to uh, reach, reach out to you at other times. Uh, Scott teaches on Tuesdays. We have Bible studies on Wednesdays. I teach on Thursdays. The blog comes out on Saturdays. We have service on Sundays. You get the point. Those are, that's like five days right there. I can only do what I can do, though, to ensure that if there is ever music in the midst of any of that, or we're talking about music in the midst of that, I can only do what I can do as a shepherd to ensure that we all sing as unto the Lord. But it's up to you, it's up to you as individuals to contemplate when and how you worship through music outside of these four walls. So enough said on music for now. As a general rule, we do well to consider the proper worship. Did you just lose the. As a general rule, you guys got it back? Excuse me. Again, as a general rule, we do well to consider proper worship in light of this passage up here on the board. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. You know, that's a wonderful way to think about worship. Just rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. What a wonderful way. I mean, who is the wellspring of everything that we should be grateful for? Him. The wellspring isn't your feelings. The wellspring isn't your little God, whatever your appetite 
thirsts or hungers for. That's not where you get everything good. That's not where your gratitude should be aimed. Your gratitude be, should be towards the one who is the giver of all blessings. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, direction is the key here. And Holy Scripture says, focus on me, the Lord. Focus on the Word of God. So direction is the key. Giving thanks for everything means our gratitude is directed towards God. Towards God. Some of you might have mumbled in your own, under your breath, you know, I made it to the 40% off sale. I got these new pumps or these new kicks and man, do they make me happy. I love them. Love them. God who? I love my new shoes. It's my shoes that make me happy. You sure about that? And so I have this appetite, like Amelda Marcos. Remember her? She had like 400 pairs of shoes. She was using like government funds. Anyways, long story. She obviously had a problem with shoes. What do you need 400 pairs of shoes for? That, you could go a whole year and not wear them all. You wore one a day. Obviously, she had a problem. She loved her shoes. What? what? Why would you have any affection towards something like that? Because you know what? That was her appetite. She needed to feed the beast. Need another pair of shoes. Need another pair of this. It makes me happy for a time. And the only thing you can say in, in retrospect is say, if that's what I need, is there possibly something missing in my relationship with the Lord? If I need a pair of shoes, or if I need a new pair of clothes, or, or, or I don't know, we don't even call it like that, do we? A new pair of clothes, anybody? No. A, new, a new wardrobe, right? I need, a new, I need a new trip to some fancy restaurant. I need, a new, I need a new car. I need a new home. I need a new, God forbid, a new spouse. I need a new whatever. I just need to keep changing because I have an appetite for things that are not God. At the end of the day, isn't that the net-net? All those things are not God. But yet we have this appetite, this recurring appetite. You've got to keep feeding the beast. Um, all along, the, the Word says we should be giving thanks. We should rejoice always. We should be praying without ceasing to, to God, worshiping God. So, if we're going to celebrate we ought to be celebrating him up here on the board. This is a question that's been coming from this pulpit now for years. What are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? Many, quote, Christians have supplanted worshiping God with celebrating their feelings regarding him, even worshiping and serving those feelings with definite purpose. In other words, it's not, it's not a passing feeling. It's, I've organized my life around my appetite for my feelings. I've, I've organized my life around my appetites. So there's a definite purpose even. There's a certain 
premeditation even in view. And now you start thinking about the, the true deceitfulness of sin. You, you mean we can premeditate away from worshiping the Lord? Yeah, we do it all the time. We're not just, oh, I got fooled. Is that fair? No. We don't go, oh, I just got fooled. No. You were in class. You saw the little 40% off ticket sticking out of your pocket. That's right. You thought about it during class. You couldn't wait to get in your car. You had to drive real fast to get there, maybe break a few laws. You're supposed to be studying the Word of God. You're supposed to be decompressing everything that the bald guy said. But you didn't have time for that. I know, I, know, I, didn't, read the blog. I didn't read the blog yesterday. I don't have time for that. I've got to go shopping. Yeah, that whole scene where you got there and you did that thing and you spent your hard-earned money. Oh, that means i got to work harder, too, because I spent more. Anyways, all that stuff was premeditated. Premeditated. There, in other words, you have a definite purpose. You architect a lifestyle that not only puts appetites, certain appetites, on a pedestal, but a lifestyle that also feeds them. So, what are we celebrating? A new pair of shoes? A new, what? Ungodly relationship with somebody who could care less about the Lord Jesus Christ? And don't play games like that. I hear that all the time. Oh, no, no, no. They told me they're a believer. You sure? You sure that's just not what you want to hear? So that your premeditated garbage could be fulfilled? So you can hang around with uh, ungodly people? You sure that's not all part of this architected, premeditated, definite purpose of serving your appetite? That's what the Lord's been saying. Not rocket science, is it? No. People's appetites change, but the pattern's always the same. The pattern is people have their little God is their appetite. Their appetites are their God. Jesus is an afterthought. Jesus is a rebound guy. You know when the appetites fail? You know what I'm getting at? So you go stuff your face, and you get sick to the belly, and then you go whine to Jesus. And he says, I told you not to serve that appetite. But, but I told you not to serve that appetite. And then as soon as you're not sick anymore, you know what you do to Jesus? See you later. It's back to my appetites. And oh, by the way, I'm going to celebrate along the way because I love my new shoes, baby. And I love my whatever it is your appetite is. The question is, what are we celebrating? It's a fair question. I'm not, it's a fair question. You guys kind of look a little stunned. Many Christians have supplanted worshiping God with celebrating their feelings regarding Him, even worshiping and serving those feelings with definite purpose. Yes, there is a difference, and it matters. The direction of one's affections make all the difference towards God versus towards self. So I want you to reflect now. It's a good, good point in the message. Think about your week. This, just this past week, think about 
your week. Say, all right, I'm looking at my week. I'm at, you know, 50,000 foot, and I'm looking down, and I can see the timeline called my week, and I'm looking at the whole thing. For many of you, it was filled with a variety of activities. You know how I know that? Because for those of you who show up on Thursday evenings, you look tired. No offense. You look tired. Some of you look tired now, which means you had a pretty haggard week. And so if you look from 50,000 foot down at your life, your week, it was filled with a variety of activities, the vast majority of which you had, you ready, a first-hand choice in providing a place on your personal schedule. I mean, your, your week was busy because you chose to be busy. And don't try any weird, you know, uh, lawyering. Remember, you are the one that chose that job. You didn't have to. You're the one who chose to have children. You didn't have to. You're the one who chose to have pets. That house, that car that keeps breaking down. You didn't have to, et cetera, et cetera. So don't place the blame on any, or for any chaos anywhere else. If your life is distracting, if your life is distracting you from proper worship of the Lord, then you, you are responsible. So if you look down from 50,000 foot and you look at your life and it's just <laughs> this big hairball of disaster and chaos and distraction, um, just remember that you chose it. You might say, but I didn't choose this thing. You know, my boss is a jackass. Well, you're the one who chose the job. Oh, my kids are a PIA. Well, you chose to have kids. I don't want to give up my life. I want to shuffle my kids off to my in-laws or to my parents or some other ungodly thing that people seem to be doing nowadays instead of raising them on their own. I want to do that because I have an appetite for these other things and my kids are getting in the way. Well, don't blame your kids. You chose to have those kids. My dog, it just poops everywhere. I can't read my Bible because... I'm always cleaning up poop. You chose to have a dog. You knew the risks. You know what I'm getting at? These are the, so don't just look at that and go, well, it's not my fault because it's all these other things, these other people, these other beings that keep distracting me. No, no. no. You chose here. Now you're living it here, just like the Bible said would happen. What you sow is what you reap. Be careful what you sow then. So, speaking of this past week, be honest. This is the question on the table. Be honest. How much time did you actively, actively set aside for worshiping the Lord? And don't just count church. Actively set aside for worshiping the Lord. How much time did you proactively do that thing? I mean, if we can premeditate all these other ungodly things to serve our appetites, how much of that energy was put into actively worshiping the Lord? If you look just one week. I mean, if we all agree that we're in charge of our lives, right? I mean, God holds us responsible, gives us a free will to live our lives. Um, how much time did you actively set aside for worshiping the Lord? 
compare Luke 4.8. There's a reference to Deuteronomy 6.13 in there. We'll see that in a moment. Romans 12.1-2, uh, Isaiah 12.2-5. Let's look at that scriptural reference up here on the board. Luke 4.8 up here on the board. Jesus answered Satan, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him. What's that last word? I can't read it. I'm getting old. Only. That's Jesus Christ. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. We don't worship and serve our appetites. That's the whole point. Paul echoed the Lord's sentiments years later. Go to Romans 12.1. Romans 12, verse 1. And so we have to look at our lives. That's what's on. You know, be honest. Be honest. How much time did you actively set aside for doing this thing? For worshiping and serving the Lord. You know, only. Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's it. You see it? I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, your life is mine. I've redeemed it. It's mine. Serve me. Worship and serve me. Verse 12, or 2, 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. During the millennial reign of Christ, Israel will worship Him in song. Go to uh, Isaiah 12, 2. Isaiah 12, 2. This is our relationship. We don't have a... Um, a sterile, passive relationship with the Lord. It's a personal relationship. We have a jealous God. He says, love me, praise me, worship me, serve me, which is wonderful. The ability to even do that is unbelievable. Isaiah 12, verse 2. That's our relationship. He doesn't just say to us, you know, hey, I'm, I'm so happy I was able to save you. See you back. See you in heaven someday. Have fun. Go run off and, you know, satisfy all your ungodly appetites. Don't worry about me. I'll be here. You know, I'm the rebound guy. <laughs> you know, when you skin your knee, just come, you know, whining to me, and I'll put a little Band-Aid on it. Does that sound like the holy God, sovereign God, righteous God of the universe? I don't think so. Sounds like we've perverted him in that situation. Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song. There we go. How about that? Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. 
let this be known throughout the earth. So we're supposed to be singing as unto the Lord, to the Lord. Others might see it, be encouraged, etc., etc. Again, speaking of this past week up here on the board, just be honest. That's all he wants me to ask you this morning. And it's between you and the Lord. Be honest. How much time did you actively set aside for worshiping the Lord? Because we know that is our worship. That is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be um, worshiping Him in every moment of every day. It doesn't mean you're going to be on your knees, but it certainly doesn't mean you're going to have the leeway to worship and serve an appetite or a little G God. So you have to ask yourself again, how much time did you actively set aside for worshiping the Lord? Has sin deceived you into thinking there are ways of circumventing the instructions from the Lord regarding holy worship? In other words, I've heard people say, even people in this congregation, that doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does. You may say it doesn't apply to you, but whether or not you subscribe to the truth or not, it never changes the truth. The truth is, the Bible applies to your life, and you don't get any free passes, nor do I. If he says, this is the way I want you to worship me, and I'm a jealous God, and I don't want you to have any of the gods, and I don't want you to have your appetite as a God, then you know what? He's right and you're wrong. You don't, have, you don't get to have the little secret God. You know the one everybody likes to keep in the corner that nobody else on the planet even knows about? You know which one I'm talking about, right? Everybody's like, nope, I don't have any of those. I don't have any guilty pleasures. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't sneak off and do anything that nobody else knows about, except God, of course. I don't ever do that. When the lights are off or when, when nobody's home or whatever, I have nothing like that. No, no way. Liar. You're a liar. We all have those little things. Right? Everybody's like, not me. What a holy group. <laughs> How much time did you actively set aside for worshiping the Lord? It's a fair question. Has sin deceived you into thinking there are ways of circumventing? The direct instructions from the Lord regarding holy worship. I'll borrow from Jesus again. Up here on the board, Matthew 6, verse 6. But, when you, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But what if you're doing stuff in secret that's ungodly? Do you think he's going to ignore that? What do you think? Whatever you sow, you will reap. What makes you think that you won't have to fight? This is a wonderful point that came out on Thursday evening. The question on the board is, you know, what have you proactively done this past week? Just as a, I don't know, as a sampling of your life. Just a sample. What makes you think that you won't have to fight against the overt pressures of this life you're living in order to worship God in a manner that is truly pleasing, pleasing to Him? What makes you think you don't have to fight? Paul said, I fought the good fight. Paul would encourage 
Timothy, and all of us then, fight the good fight of faith. What makes you think you don't have to fight against the pressure of the world to keep you distracted? Some of you are like, yeah, I looked at my life and it was terrible. I really can't identify, honestly, any area of time other than maybe church that I actually actively set aside time to worship Him. I can't even say that I did that thing. Um, The question to you then is, what makes you think you won't have to fight for that time? If your life is a big ball of chaos, um, what makes you think that God hasn't put it on you to fight for time in that big ball of chaos? To put aside time. Up here on the board, you have to fight for quiet time. You have to learn to make time for prayer, worship, and introspection. You have to make that time. Matthew 6, 6, 14, 22 to 23, Mark 1, 35 to 37, James 4, 8, Psalm 1, 1 to 6. As we noted on Thursday evening, Jesus made a habit of taking his own advice and finding quiet time to worship. Up here on the board, Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. He would spend a lot of time alone. A lot of time, a lot of quiet time to worship his father, to to pray to his father. And who had more responsibility than Jesus Christ? You? With your ridiculous job? or your so-called whatever you want to call your distraction is, you think you have more responsibility than Jesus Christ had? And somehow, you ready? Somehow, he found time to be alone. Okay, there's you and there's Jesus Christ. He found time. How can you possibly say that you can't? How can you possibly with a clear conscience, say, there's no time to do what Jesus did regularly. Obviously, that's a, a silly thing to even... It's a silly proposition. So, Jesus did that. This was a common theme in his life. Go to Mark 135. Mark 135. I guess what the Spirit's saying is really is no excuse. We like to make excuses, but there's really no excuse. Mark 135. You don't know my life, bald man. No, and you don't know mine either. So what's your point? But we know Jesus is. And he's our prototype. And he was able to. We got nothing. We don't have a leg to stand on. So don't try to make it about me and you, because that's gross, and that's immature. Mark 135, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. 
When's the last time you got up when it was still dark and set some quiet time aside to pray? To go to a secluded place. You don't understand. Oh, please. You and Jesus. Who, had more, who has more responsibility? You or Jesus? Do I really have to? I don't have to teach that, I hope. Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said, Everyone's looking for you. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Hey, everybody's looking for you. Yeah, so? That might be you. Hey, where'd you go? Everybody's looking for you. My suggestion? Let some people know. This is my routine. I'm going go to go in my office. I'm going to go over here in the corner of the house. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do something to get away from you. That's what Jesus said. Who's going to get me out of this ridiculous, perverse generation of people that are driving me bananas, right? Those are not his exact words, but you know what I'm saying. Sometimes you just got to escape, and I, I use that term loosely, you have to escape your life. And for most of you, there's a stickiness to the routine of life itself. But also, for most of you, there are certain people that are almost parasitic. That do not want you to have any of your own time. Because they're insecure in themselves. Do not let those people drag you down. You have to have time. I don't care who it is. I don't even care if it's your spouse. Your spouse does not control you. If you need time alone and you know what's right, then you do it. Then you do it. You find a way to make it happen. Nobody has the right to get between you and the Lord. Ever. Ever. Men, listen to me. You do not have that kind of control or authority given to you by Holy Scripture, to do such a thing to, say, your wife or even your children. Ever. You never have that right to get between an individual and they're worshiping the Lord. Ever. If there's ever a reason to separate, and I would never condone this, I would never promote it. If there's ever a real reason to separate in marriage, I'm not saying divorce, separate, it would be that one topic. My spouse won't let me go. Worship the Lord. Not because they got fat. Or you don't like the, the way they look anymore. Or you're dissatisfied with their personality. I didn't say any of that. A lot of you live with jerks. That's what my wife would say. You wouldn't really say that, would you? She's like, oh, no. <laughs> No, but I never have, I can't say, hey, Tim, you can't, close that Bible. No, 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 pay attention to me. Worship and serve me. The Bible says submit to your husband. I think you're a pervert. I think you're perverting scripture when you get that far in your marriage, where you think you have that kind of control over another human being who stands before their Lord. Never, ever do that, men. Ever. Ever. You do not have the right to control your wife. Submission, you need to go back to Holy Scripture. If you need any help on that, I'm here for you, honestly. I'm not even being mean. 
It irritates me to see it, and it happens. But it's really about your own deliverance. Do not do that to anyone. People need to worship the Lord. Okay. The wisdom book, the book of Proverbs, speaks to the estate of the righteous man. Up here on the board, Psalm 1, 2. Well, that's the book of Psalms, excuse me. But this, his delight is in the law, the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. This is a theme we see in the Bible. Fight for quiet time. You have to have that time with the Lord. You have to learn to make time for prayer, worship, and introspection. I can only imagine some of you probably don't want to look deep inside of yourself for fear of what you find. It's ugly in there. And it's okay. Because you know what? Jesus knows more about you than even you know about you. And you know what? He went to the cross and died for all that ugliness. So you don't have to be uh, mastered by it anymore. So you don't have to be a slave to it anymore. He already knows how ugly you are in there. He already knows about all the dark places. He already knows about all the skeletons and all your little worship, your little idols that nobody else knows about. He already knows about all that, and he knew when he died for your sins. So that weird pretension that keeps you from being honest with the Lord, drop it. Drop it. Be naked before Him. Don't be afraid to be introspective. Don't be afraid ever to self-examine. Those are some of the greatest leaps of your faith. Because He's going to reveal things to you. But if you never... If you never uh, Pray without ceasing. In other words, you hardly ever pray. Well, how's that ever going to happen? If you never have time set aside because you're, you're weak, your days are too busy, how's that ever going to happen? And so therefore you will remain in bondage because you're afraid of what? What you might discover in there? He already knows. We closed on Thursday with a conclusion from our survey of the first few verses of the Beatitudes up here on the board. This came out on Tuesday. It's a good point up here on the board. The Greek definition for the word translated blessed means blessed and happiness. We must think of godly happiness as being in the sphere of fellowship with God. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's Ephesians 5.8. Think of godly happiness as being in the sphere of fellowship with God. I want to look at the second passage reference on the board now, since we ran out of time on Thursday. Go to Psalm 37.1. Psalm 37.1. It's the Psalm of David. Do not fret, Psalm 37, 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. 
Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. I think that happens a lot. I think verse 7 is really important, especially as an American believer. If you're a believer in Christ, verse 7 means a lot. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. I mean, if you look to your left and your right, uh, especially if you're in a workplace, chances are both of these people could care less about Jesus Christ. Both of these people might be prospering, quote-unquote, more than you. And you say, what the heck? Why are they getting ahead? And I'm sort of stymied by my faith. Why am I called to what? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Well, maybe you should get on your knees and ask the Lord about those things. Maybe that's why you should pray without ceasing. Some of you don't ever pray. You don't ever actually look inward. You don't ever spend any real time with Him because you're too busy worshiping your appetite, your feelings. And so you sit there and say, you have these thoughts, these same thoughts. Everybody else is prospering. I'm stuck, quote-unquote. You're not stuck. You're stuck because you're making yourself stuck. You won't set any time aside for the Lord. How do you think sanctification happens? It's real. This is about a relationship. Relationships require investment. How do you say you're in a relationship with, with the holy God of the universe through Jesus Christ and you never spend any time with Him? What kind of relationship is that? That's what I mean, up here on the board. We must think of godly happiness as being in the sphere of fellowship with God. Put yourself there. Mind, body, and soul. Put yourself right where He wants you to be. Direct your attention, your worship, your servanthood to Him. Present your whole bodies. A living sacrifice. That's the form of worship. That's your service to Him. He says, you're mine. I don't want you serving other gods. I want you to serve me. And that's where you're blessed. That's where you're blessed. Most people don't do that. Most people put God on the shelf for Sundays and Thursdays or Bible studies, whatever it is you choose to do. And he's, on, he's categorized out. He's over here somewhere. The real God in your life is you. And you worship and serve yourself. And that's why when you look down from 50,000 foot, you say, all I can actually see is a bunch of garbage, me serving myself. It's unbelievable. But that's what happens. And that's why I'm up here teaching the way I'm teaching. Okay. Obviously, I've got to pick a spot. It's so funny because I, I didn't think, I was like, man, I hardly have any notes and I'm still not going to get through them all. Hmm. Well, let's press on a little bit and then I'll close. As we do so, please keep your mind settled on the fact 
that blessedness and happiness are gifts from God. They're gifts from God. Do not accept promises from any other agency, for they are surely vapid. Nothing to them. Do not accept promises from any other agency. God, every good thing comes from where? Above. Where there's no shifting shadow. Everything good comes from above. Do not accept promises from any other agency. Just because the world promises you blessings and happiness does not mean that it is even capable of providing these things. Remember, the world is led by the God of this world, who is also called the father of lies. So we live in a world that's led by the God of this world, Satan, who is also called the father of lies. So what do you think? The fact that the world promises happiness to anyone is a lie. At most, these promises comprise fleeting moments of emotional highs. Most people are overtly addicts of some form or another. It doesn't have to be drugs. That's one poison. Most people are addicts looking for their next high. A lot of it is sex. I hate to say it that way, but there's a lot of ungodliness when it comes to sexual promiscuity and and, um, infidelity and fornication and all that kind of stuff. Um, A lot of it's that. Everybody's got an addiction. Everybody's looking for the next high. I mean, it may sound silly, but it, it could be a video game. Have you ever seen... Do you know they have giant tournaments where thousands and thousands of people watch, like, other people play video games? One kid... Is this true, Sean? One kid shot another kid? Yeah. Recently... Now, this is a video game. Come on. One kid shot another player because he lost. Are you serious with this stuff right now? Are you serious? Everybody's addicted to something. Video game Shopping? I know people that are thoroughly... I mean, they just go shopping for stuff they don't even need. Some of these people are so bad, they'll shop for you when you didn't ask them to. Hey, look, I got this thing for you. That's 40 bucks. Wait a minute, what? Wait a minute, what? Well, how did I become part of your addiction? You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you mean you show up with a... A, a, a set of mops and uh, somehow I'm liable to you? Like I got to buy them off you? Like what happened here? When did this happen? You got a problem. You know what I'm saying? People, everybody has these little addictions. Everybody's looking for an emotional high. That, that, you know, that some sale or some whatever is going to give you your next high. But if you've been at this for any period of time, you know that that stuff never lasts. Ever. Ever. It never lasts. So our Lord and Savior has this to say. Mark 4, 24. He was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. It's not true. Sex is not going to make you happy. That new drug is not going to make you happy. Maybe for a moment you have a high, but then you crash, and it's much worse than the last time. If you know anything about addictions, you know you need more and more to maintain the same high next time around. 
And that goes with any kind of addiction. So therefore, take care what you listen to. Stop buying the lie. The world lies to you. It's incapable of providing happiness for you or contentment at any la in any lasting way. But it's going to keep telling you, I can do it. Here, here's the next thing you can set your appetite on. Here's the next thing that will satisfy your fleshly lust, your appetite. Here's the next thing. And it just keeps feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. And you say, oh my word, I need more. Okay, I'll feed you more. And each time you get fed more, it's ratcheting and ratcheting and ratcheting and ratcheting away from the Lord. So Jesus said, just take care what you listen to. Be careful what you let into your soul. The truth is, we can't always help hearing garbage from the world. I mean, we go out in the world. We're not of it, but we're in it. And, you know, if, if, you, if your ears are even open and working, you hear garbage all the time. But we can be cautious about letting things into our souls. We don't have to, quote, listen, in other words. As I've taught you in the past, when you're weary, in other words, if you've spent your entire week, if you look down at 50,000 feet, and every single night you're just beat tired, when you're weary, things will slip under the radar undetected. We have to be sharp. We have to be sober against the schemes of the devil. If you're wigged out all the time because you're exhausted, because you're working so hard, because what? What are you afraid of? The Lord's not going to provide? So that's now become your appetite, your work? That's, that's your justification for being so tired that you keep letting things slip under the radar? Do you have no real time set aside to worship the Lord because of some ungodly thing that you're trying to feed? What are you afraid of? This is a faith issue, isn't it? You don't really believe that God will take care of you then. And so you wear yourself out, and when you're weary, things slip under the radar. Because you're tired. You're not sharp anymore. You're not sober. A lot of you are intoxicated with the things of the world. You're definitely not sober. So as I've taught you in the past, when you're weary, things will slip under the radar undetected. And it may not be until some time later that this seed sprouts and wreaks havoc in your soul. The point is that it's infinitely better to take all of your final counsel from the one immutable source of wisdom. That is, of course, the Word of God up here on the board. And this has been a recurring theme. Matter of fact, this, this point on the board is from weeks ago. <clears throat> True humility begins and ends with submission to the Word of God. And the question the Spirit is giving us today is, will you obey this one command? Will you obey this one command? It's the perfect place to start. Some of you have to go back to the starting block. You have to go back to the blocks. Because you spent so much time preoccupied in serving and worshiping some little God, some awful appetite, that you have to go back to point one and say, wait a minute, what am I missing here? What you're missing is you're not submitting to the Word of God. You're submitting to a feeling, um, an emotion, your next high, you name it. But it's not God. And the, the perfect place to start, I don't know how else to say it, the perfect place to start is always open up your Bible. I will be here to encourage you. That's my job. I'm doing it right now. But I'm not the Word of God. 
I'm just an agent. I'm an instrument being used by him. I'm an under-shepherd of the one who saved you, who's saying, go back, come back to me. If you're all screwed up, and I know I'm talking to some of you right now, you're all messed up right now. You, know, you don't know up and down, left and right. Here's, here's the solution. I'm just telling you. Literally, this is it. It is not rocket science. Just go back to the Word of God. And when you read something that's true, submit to it. And that's the end of it. And that's all she wrote. So the question on the board, will you obey this one command to submit to the Word of God? And I'm going to borrow from our old buddy John Newton. Again, another repeat principle up here on the board. On the, on the proposition of the question, will you obey? Obedience is the best test of sincerity. Feelings are various, transient, and often deceitful. So do not go on what you feel. But a broken, humble spirit and an upright walk evidence the finger of God. Other things may be and are often counterfeited. So the conclusion there is the great litmus test for humility is obedience. Sin deceives you. And this I think I'll probably end in a moment. Sin deceives you into thinking that obedience simply means to obey the do's and don'ts of spiritual living. Sin deceives you into thinking that obedience... Say, okay, I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to be humble then. I'm going I'm to obey. Okay. But sin tells you, uh, hey, let's just turn this into a works program. Let's just, let's just turn this into a, a religion. Let's get you right back into bondage. I know you had a moment of clarity. <laughs> Let's get you back into bondage. Because now you worship and serving a religion instead of the Lord again. Eek! Took like three seconds. I get it. I have an epiphany. Woo, yeah. Okay, let me make religion. Sin deceives you into thinking that obedience simply means to obey the do's and don'ts of spiritual living. There are a lot of religious or religions throughout history that have their roots in the Bible, that have, let's call it, codified, <clears throat> codified, organized, you know, boom, 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 codified these do's and don'ts into a religious treadmill. Do these things and you'll be happy. A lot of religions have codified the do's and don'ts in the Bible into a religious treadmill. This in accordance with the point from recent teachings up here on the board. This is the world's take on religion. Well, it's like a formula. Do this and you'll be happy. Follow this codified set of rules from the Bible. No, they're from the Bible. Look, here they are. They're from the Bible. You don't actually have to have a, you know, like a, a real relationship with the Lord. <laughs> you just have to do this stuff and he'll be happy. You can love the world, you can have your own appetites, you can feed them, you can have little gods galore. Just do these things and God will be happy. Because that's what he is. If you look at any other religion, you know, what's, you, know what, you know what personifies them all? They're all personified by a wrathful, hateful, oppressive God. They're all, in, they're all afraid of the God that they serve. Look at the Old Testament. They're all afraid of what? The wrath of that little G God. That's not, that's not, that's not us at all. We have a loving God, one that paved the way so we can have a relationship with Him. You know, a relationship. 
a relationship. If I go on from here on out, I just go home and say, you know what? I'm going to fix the cars. I'm going to make a paycheck, and I'm going to do these things, and to hell with my family. I'm just going to do these things, and damn it, I'm a good husband. I'm a good father, because all I do is I do these things. I don't want to have any relationship with these people. I don't want to ever show them any real love. I don't want to have any relationship with them. What do you say about that? What kind of husband and father am I in that moment? Or reverse the tables. Suppose you're a spouse or a child, and that's your relationship with the head of the household, the father. What do you say about that kind of relationship? You know what it is? It's called garbage. That's not a relationship at all. That's a person who's trying to do this other stuff, satisfy some ungodliness so that they can run off and do their own thing. It's not a formula. This is a relationship we're in. But that's the world's take on religion. It's a formula. You know, do this and you'll be happy. And they say, I might consider it if and when I get down and out, but right now I'm feeling pretty darn good all on my own. I don't need your God. Let me go a little bit longer. I know I keep promising, but I don't see any super large. I do see some empty cups, though. One more point of reflection. If we dismiss the world as merely a bunch of ignoramuses, let's say we do that, but then, sadly, make the grave mistake of presuming their pattern for religion is true, that Christianity is about temporal happiness, calling such things blessings along the way, then Satan has done his deed, planted his evil seed in us. While you are too busy, you know, feeling angry, about any such contention, the kingdom of darkness was planting seeds. This is what a magician calls misdirection. And it's a very powerful tactic that the kingdom of darkness uses on all of us. And you know what? This is the very lifeline of the deceitfulness of sin. So if you just fell asleep in the lack, because I lied to you like three times, you get the over with. I gotta get to that sale. I can see the tickets right here. Tired of listening to you. You just missed the whole thing. See that? See how that works? You just missed the whole thing. Because you were worried about some little G getting back to your chaotic life. It's not a whole nother week that looks like the one you just examined. While you were too busy, quote, feeling angry about any such contention, the kingdom of darkness was planting seeds. I am outraged. <laughs> That's called misdirection. And he can use it against you. The idea is to have clarity of mind. Not be an emotional basket case. It's called misdirection. It's very powerful. And you know what? This is the very lifeline of the deceitfulness of sin. So much of it is based on misdirection. That's all he's been trying to teach us. Forty lessons later, 40 messages later, it's about misdirection. How are you getting deceived? All I got to do is blow up this thing in your life, and you're too preoccupied with it, and now I just insert some false doctrines, the doctrines of demons. Uh, you're weary, by the way, because you're, you're dealing with this brush fire over here. The one that, by the way, you kindled. Um, I get you all angry over here. And, oh, my God, can you believe that person said that about Christianity? Can you believe this, that? And yet, under the radar comes all this other stuff. All these other little 
things that you're getting from uh, whatever form of media that you listen to. Think about this. I need you to think about this. Misdirection. It means there's not just one variable to this. It means there's multiple. There's at least two, sometimes three, sometimes many. The fact that it's not a formula doesn't mean that there's only one variable you can pull out of your out of your life and go, well, that's it. I just didn't see it anymore. If I just change this one variable in my life, ta-da, I'm done. No. No. There's more than one variable. The one you might be thinking about might not even be the right variable. Might not be the thing that's haunted you your whole life because you've always been too distracted by variable number one. You see what I'm getting at? I hope you get it. If not, Think about it. Listen to this lesson again, especially if you slept in the last five minutes. Seriously. Listen to it again. I know. It's actually, what does it take, Greg, an hour and a half? Depends on how excited Greg is about the lesson, I guess. How long it takes to get home. He's like, oh, maybe an hour, hour and a half. Depends if I get my cappuccino on the way home. I'm just kidding. I, don't, I know you don't drink cappuccino. Do you? No. Within like an hour and a half, this thing is going to be available to you again in high definition. And I'm no longer this wide. They fixed the aspect ratio. I no longer look like the incredible bulk. I look semi-normal, if that's even possible. But it's available to you again. Isn't that awesome? Misdirection. I need you to think about it. and I, I guess I'll leave you with that. Misdirection. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for being true and faithful to your promises. We know that the world lies about its promises, Father. It's incapable of matching yours. Father, let us behold this. Let us enjoy this truth. And let us just keep pressing on, fighting the good fight of faith. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.